This is GamesAtWork.biz, your weekly podcast about gaming, technology, and play. Your hosts are Michael Martin, Andy Piper, and Michael Rowe. The thoughts and opinions on this podcast are those of the hosts and guests alone and are not the opinions of any organization which they have been, are, or may be affiliated with. This is episode 395, Breaking Reality. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon. Michael Rowe here on Friday. It is sometime in December. Holy crap, it is December. And I am here getting to talk tech and technology and gaming and virtual everything with my friend and co-host, Andy Piper. Andy, how are you? Hello, Michael. I am well, thank you. Hello, everybody. I have had a fun week. I have got a move-in date for our new workshop studio, so not a, not, a, not a recording studio. I don't know how well it would work as a recording studio, as a space. But It looked like uh, it had a lot of hard surfaces. Yeah, but it's not that. It's the, the, the fact that it's a, an artist studio, so I don't think people would necessarily enjoy noise being made. We'll find out. Um, <laughs> or, or they may make oh, we too will, much will noise. We? Um, well, uh, we're moving in on Monday, so um, yes, and then there'll be a period of assembling furniture and things. But uh, yeah, it looks really exciting. I, I I saw your post on that, and mm-hmm. I was like, oh man, that that's gonna be neat. That's gonna be really neat. There's been many IKEA uh, and uh, trips and um, catalog trawling exercises already. So yes, it should be fun. I I I do find it interesting that um, we're, we're we're playing Michael Ping Pong again. We are. Uh, our 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 other co-host uh, Michael Martinez is not available this week, and I will not be here next week. And last week I wasn't here, and the week before Michael wasn't here. So we are literally pinging and ponging on Michael's. Uh, but as as you guys mentioned last week, we have that that rock. I'm the continuity, steady nature, continuity. The continuity co-host, Content, continu- kind of like continuity exactly. camera, which we're not going to talk about this week. Exactly, continuity <laughs> co-host. I like that. I was about to say continuity uh, Andy, but you're right. It's more alliterative if we go with continuity co-host. Great. Yes. Anyway, so what are we going to talk about? I think we should talk about Neko. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, this is just a fun little story that I came across. Um, I follow uh, Evert Pot on Mastodon, and he posted a link to something he wrote on his blog about Neko. Now, I don't know if you remember this, but it's a little white cat uh, that used to, yes. on earlier operating systems, follow your mouse pointer around the screen. And he's actually gone all the way back and done a... I'm a historian. I love histor- historical kind of uh, deep dives. And he's done a whole deep dive of uh, how this thing, uh, how long this thing has been around and places it ran and formats it's running. And he's then gone on and ported it to JavaScript, which, of course, everything has to run in JavaScript. If it doesn't, then apparently, for some reason, um, it's not a real thing. So, yeah. I, I, I do I do remember this. Uh, and, and I can't remember. Was it Neko or Nico? I um, would have said Nico as well. Yes. Uh, but, uh, well, I started by saying Neko, so I... I it's your I, fault. It wasn't positive, so it's it's my fault. But yeah, I I'm I'm I, I think I will have to install it and see if it'll run here. Um, there 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 does appear to be a oh, there's an APT installer for it. Is there a brew? Um, that's a good question. There's probably um, it's probably something in Homebrew. Uh, this is he's yeah. made the he's made a JavaScript one. 
uh, nearly 40 years old, which I, I didn't know that it was that old. I just remember it back on early Windows operating system versions, and I think it was on Risk OS and other things that I used to run back in the day. But uh, you pointed out or picked out that it was here uh, included in OS 2, and IBM paid yes, to include I, it in OS 2. They, they paid for it, yes. Um, yeah, yeah, very cool. Anyway, so so uh, nice little trip down memory lane with Definitely. Uh, Nico. So um, the the next link, and I can't remember, did you find this one about the uh, Orion module and Artemis using commercial cameras? Certainly did. Yes, I did. My friend Dan Hon, who I, I think we've mentioned on the show before, his mailing list yep. is definitely worth following and subscribing to. It's very good. He's, he writes an excellent newsletter, um, usually daily, but it's uh, at the moment he's, he's on a hiatus. Uh, anyway, he tweeted about the fact that he tooted, I should say, about the fact that the Orion module on Artemis is using commercial cameras uh, so that they are literally off the shelf. And in fact, a lot of stuff on the uh, recent Mars missions I think we've spoken about in the past has been, you know, off the shelf. The the drone uh, or quadcopter on the the Martian lander was, uh, of course, built from commercial, you know, off the shelf components. But amazing imagery. Well, the Just other the other interesting thing that I saw is there's actually there's actually um, an Amazon Alexa on Artemis talking about commercial off the shelf. Really interesting. I did not yes. know that. <laughs> and and no. the idea was to I mean, even though there's nobody actually on board, so it's it's there, but who cares? Uh, but the idea is, as an astronaut, when you're in space. Uh, anytime you have to use your hand for things, uh, that's excess usage of your hands for stuff. So being able to use a voice assistant uh, in the module while you're doing other things allows more flexibility. For now, now, you are better informed and up to date on what NASA is up to and what the different missions are. So just give me a quick rundown on what Artemis is doing because... Is that one is that I mentioned I mentioned Mars? Is that one actually associated with Mars or not? No, no. Ar- Artemis is the one that launched and has just uh, is circumnavigating the moon multiple I times. Apologize. It's, uh, testing the uh, the the what is the uh, oh the extremely large I can't remember the name of the rocket. Um, oh, I, I know. Mean, Artemis one. is the name. Right. The Orion is the mission. Yes, but of course. The heavy launch vehicle. Yeah, the big the big big H- old thing. We 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 actually mentioned it. I think a few weeks a few HLV shows ago. HLV or HVL. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Thank you for clarifying. I apologize. My I was getting my wires crossed, but even then, I was I was still bringing together relevant information. I think so. Yes, and you were you were synthesizing it yeah. into a whole. I hope that, so. As kind of a continuity story. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I think we're going to go too too far down the we're continuity co-host uh, route if we're not careful. Yes. Uh, <laughs> well, well. Speaking of other really cool science, I, I saw an article this week, and it's actually um, the the story is a longer living story than that because it took them a while to confirm this. Uh, But researchers at CERN uh, about a week ago uh, confirmed that they broke the speed of light. Now, this is insane. You sent this link to myself and Michael and I just saw the link on my my messages app and I think I was walking or driving or something and I didn't, um, couldn't, couldn't look it up at the time and I got, and I looked at it and it's from a, strangely titled website that you found it i think fancy work or something yes. and 
kind yeah, of fancy for work. Don't know that it's a particularly legit website, but the story evidently I, I think is uh, legit. Um, yep. And it's a tiny, tiny, tiny difference that they've managed to. Oh, oh yeah, oh to yeah. <laughs> travel uh, just ahead of the speed of light with one or two particles or something, but it is. Oh, well, what it is is you know photons are light they're particles of light and evidently neutrinos can go just a little bit faster so if we could travel by neutrino power uh maybe you could go you know uh, a couple of days back (laughs) if you traveled for a very very long time well is that really that's an assumption as well isn't it that, that, well, the, it assumes in per, in perspective of the people ne- staying in one position, right? Right. right. That's how time travel. Works, well, that's is. well. <laughs> again, again, let's a theory let's of the possibility down. of time travel works. Yes. So as well as breaking the speed of light with a few neutrinos over a period of three year, three years, I say a few neutrinos, 15,000 beams of neutrinos to be accurate, there's a second yes. story that you shared with us from the uh, Quanta magazine about physicists yes. creating a wormhole this week. Tell us about that. Yes. Well, um, so, so when I saw this headline, I was really snarky, right? Uh, and wondering if the aliens at the other end of the wormhole actually communicated back because uh, the story is they, they sent some data through a wormhole. Uh, now, the wormhole that they created was both ends in the lab. <laughs> so, so the aliens uh, on the other end were the scientists themselves. Uh, but actually, this is you know a, a, another example <laughs> of, of experimentation that's starting to prove or validate or disprove, depending on which one we talk about, our understanding of physics and the physical world, right? So we've we've predicted wormholes for a long time. Well, so uh, Einstein's theories have been both proven and disproven or broken. Disproven this at the same. So. Yeah, I know. That's the crazy thing. It's like the speed of light was the constant, mm-hmm. right? You could not actually go faster than the speed of light, but neutrinos can. So that's no longer right, which kind of breaks a lot of rules in 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 modern physics. However. Evidently not, because other things are being proven, like a wormhole. Uh, and so the, this one just blows me away, because the whole concept of a wormhole to me um, is uh, my physics knowledge is not deep enough to truly understand the details outside of what I see in science fiction, right? <laughs> I'm just reading uh, a key paragraph here in the story from Quanta magazine. Opinions will differ about the fundamental implications of the result. Crucially, the holographic wormhole in the experiment consists of a different kind of space-time than the space-time of our own universe, <laughs> which is blowing so, so, my so mind. They've already. got the meta- they've got the multiverse right in their lab. Exactly. This is crazy, and uh, we're moving immediately on to um, a couple of stories that relate to the metaverse and AI. So let's let's bounce across to those before we totally break all break reali- our minds. reality, um, <laughs> our, yeah, our mental models for everything going on. We have a, a story from our friend Ian, Epred, and uh, we are going to be uh, with Epred in a, a few weeks' time on a special episode, yes. um, which we'll hopefully share with you maybe towards the end of the year. But anyway... Uh, Ian has written a really interesting piece here about using the new GPT-3 AI by OpenAI to the, the textual one 
to yes. uh, have it write a Blackadder sketch. And I've seen a few people do this this week, um, using specifically using the OpenAI GPT-3 to write Blackadder-related content. I don't know if it's one of the things that they use as one of their prompts or demos. Uh, he's got a fun one here, Blackadder sketch set in a 20th century office environment that it's not particularly funny. It seems to have been written in a... No, it just kind of ends like, okay. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 it's got some of the characteristics that I would recognize from the characters, but I didn't think it was particularly funny. Um, perhaps it right. would have been you know, converted into comedy gold by the performers. I saw some other ones this week that people have been sharing online um, that seemed slightly more amusing, but either way, it's pretty in, in, incredible once again that ai is able to synthesize uh, the um, results of some of these things and he goes on to have a have it create play with two people discussing the metaverse and that's it's very short but it, well it's short it's what a play in five acts or something like that four acts four acts <laughs> uh, yeah I, I think it's it's clever stuff, but moving beyond that, Amazon's um, AWS reInvent this week, they, they launched as usual and announced as usual a bunch of new stuff around their cloud uh, developer yes. platform. But they also talked about this pretty amazing, and they demoed this pretty amazing uh, piece of technology that they're calling SimSpace. Uh, SimSpace. SimSpace. It's a brand new service on AWS that let you build massive simulations. Yeah, this 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 was incredibly fantastic, and and uh, you know we talked about a couple of weeks ago the the defining a sim and putting things at the corner of sims in order to scale up and provide a a reality that appeared to be larger than it was, right? That uh, uh, back in the early Second Life days, you'd have 50 people on a sim and it would basically crash. Right. <laughs> so you'd put four, you'd, you'd put an event at the corner of four sims, so you'd have 200 people there and then crash. Uh, <laughs> especially if you try to cross the sims. Uh, but this is, it's actually using the same model. If, if you watch the whole video, um, they go through um, the different spaces and they start with you know a pretty complex simulation in one instance or one sim, and then they do the four corners trick, and then they pan back and they show, and here is like hundreds and hundreds of these all laid next and end to end to each other. And what was interesting was as they were showing uh, patterns of um, pedestrian patterns in order to do crowd analysis, especially on things like the strip at, uh, in, in Las Vegas and things like that. Um, the, you didn't see the sim crossing problem, right? You, you could, if you picked out an individual uh, a little avatar and watched it go through the crowd, you could see it when it was crossing sim borders and that was incredibly smooth. So to me, that says they've not only scaled the capacity of the individual sim, they've scaled the connections between the sims in order to do that handoff in a smooth manner. Um, and then they started doing the, the, the real value of this is when you get into the simulation aspect of the sim uh, and you're trying to look at traffic patterns, uh, congestion patterns. You know, the, the strip in Vegas is not designed for a million pedestrians. That's a given. Uh, uh, even at 
I think there was like 10,000 at one point, uh, which you would think it could handle. There were congestion points that were being formed just based off of the layout of, you know, planters, uh, sidewalks, uh, trees, and other things on the strip that were causing congestion points. And how you could use something like this for uh, doing analysis and simulation analysis of, of, of traffic patterns. Um, I remember working with a, a gentleman uh, years ago, uh, back in, in our EBO days, uh, who left and moved into an area of research around stream analysis mm. and stream flow. Uh, and, and I started thinking through that as I was watching this, what, this video and reading the article. One of the first gents that I worked with in my original team when I joined IBM, uh, who was towards the end of his career, I was very fortunate to work with him and his previous life had been in he, he had at some point been involved with modeling the traffic um, patterns in the city of Paris and oh. doing a lot of that um, chaos uh, sort of modeling to, to chaos, theory? chaos <laughs> theory modeling to figure out uh, how traffic might flow and, and again I think this is incredible to see this as you say at this scale with people um, in a yeah. realistic way to do that sort of traffic modeling and very visual very immersive I've just um, thought of something that actually bridges from this story to another one we had that we didn't initially have in our uh, run of show but uh, I woke up this morning to my uh, usual array of checking news feeds and one of the things that came across my radar today was something related to Unreal Engine. So this story uh, that we're talking about around AWS SimSpace, SimSpace Weaver, because uh, they have to complicate the name even further, um, which is uh, this one, this this platform that's able to do these large-scale simulations. That it, it, the story ends by pointing out that it integrates with Unreal Engine, particularly Unreal Engine Five, which we spoke about a little while ago, um, as having that matrix uh, showpiece that you could walk around from mm -hmm. when the when the mm -hmm. new uh, matrix show came out um, film came out and it also integrates with unity but the story i saw this morning was that the reality scan app that unreal um had in beta for uh, the, a few months ago is now available for free to everybody on ios um so i downloaded it i haven't installed it yet i haven't sorry i've downloaded it. i haven't used it yet um, and so Reality Scan is this app that you may have seen uh, demoed elsewhere where you can take a number of static images around an object and it will give you back a 3D model that you can then import into your Unreal space and, and other things. Now, the reason I said that this is interesting and a bridge to our story that we actually had in our show notes is because the other thing we were looking to talk about this week was a story that came out yesterday on Bloomberg. It was a, it's kind of a leak, kind of a you know tentative. Hey, look what might be going on here. Uh, story about a shell company uh, that, what seemingly a shell company called I think Deep Dive, that uh, is going around the world um, trademarking the term XROS. Um, and yes. there's a suggestion that this company may be related to Apple and. Uh, that XROS may in fact be the future replacement name of what had previously been known as Reality OS um, as the operating system for their uh, 
glasses slash headset slash mixed reality, augmented reality space. And the reason I think this is a bridging story is that we know already that in order for something like augmented reality to be successful, you're going to need models. Now, this is why uh, you've seen companies like Niantic encouraging people using Pokemon Go to go ahead and scan the Pokestops so that they get nice 3D models of the significant buildings in your area uh, so that they could import them onto whatever platform they, they might, want, might choose to, to use. And uh, we can assume that Apple is very much in that same space we've talked about and I've used most recently for my studio space, the room scale scanning that you can do in the latest versions of uh, iOS. Which is so very cool. It's very cool and gives you that very quick way of mapping. Doesn't that one doesn't do you can you can do the 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 more um what do you call it? Uh surfaced, more um detailed surface scans. Uh they don't look quite as good and they're not quite as quick at the moment unless for example um you were to use the Epic tool, which I can only imagine Apple are not keen to do, uh for, for epic reasons. But uh, what do you think about this XROS and, and the story that they might be about to, once again, another story saying they might be about to move into this space? Well, I'm, I'm actually really excited by it. Uh, again, they've, <laughs> uh, they've been talking about it, rumoring that this is coming any day now. Um, if you remember before WWDC, I was really hoping they would announce uh, the dev kit for the, for the glasses then. I... I had already lined up to say, okay, here's my credit card. Take my money. Please let me go have this. Um, then, then it was like, oh, it'll, it'll be in a fall announcement. Uh, and then German, I think, uh, uh, probably about late September, early October, said, no, this is coming out sometime next year. Um, all of this just re reaffirms to me the drumbeat of the things that normally happen right before a release of a new Apple product. Um, and... I, I'm just looking around in front of me, and, and the number of things that are in that uh, that white or space gray with a, an Apple logo <laughs> on it are uh, is, is pretty high. Uh, I'm sure there's room for one more. <laughs> um, but I, I've I, I keep thinking of what's the use case that yes, I'm looking for. Right? I do as well because uh, that's typically yeah. where they've been very successful in the past, coming into a space and right. and and with the watch they sort of started they've always had a very strong well they did a bit but they've always had a very strong health message that they've wanted yes. to use the watch as a, a bridge into that space and it's only with the most recent ultra that they've gone into that sort of sports outdoors competitive kind of space heavily before that frankly it was and i think this is the, the source of the stumbling just another way to get notifications right it had right. it had much more advanced capabilities than that but it was very difficult for them to, to tell the story beyond and by the way you can do these health related things as well um and i think well and it's that use case thing is very it, very important here yeah and it's it's interesting because i've i've almost exclusively shut off most notifications on the watch since the beginning because I don't use it for that. <laughs> right, right. I, I shut off as many notifications as I can as some people will probably attest to when they send me messages and I get to them, you know, end of the day or the next day because 
I didn't see them. <laughs> I don't have notifications mm, turned on. Mm. Um, uh, and, and I tend to mute most of them anyway. So I, I find the health aspect was really good there. But again, from, a, from a, um, an augmented slash virtual slash other reality mode, I, I still haven't figured out the use case that's not gaming and not strictly enterprise. Right. So they, there's, In the enterprise, I get it. Well, there's mention <laughs> in this particular story of uh, having uh, relationships between the team that's building this and also like pages and then the Apple work sort of uh, what used to be called iWork uh, suite. Right. Um, so you do wonder whether that's a, a part of it in terms of the sort of the enterprise type space. But uh, I don't, yeah, I don't know. It's difficult to, I, I guess with the, have you used the whiteboard app or whatever it's called in the new version of iOS, the beta of iOS? I the collaborative played thing. with it. Yeah. I played with it, but since I'm not collaborating with anybody with it, um, it's just, yes, here's another thing that I can put stuff on that I'll never get around to and I'll lose track of where I did it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I... I'm so. very curious to see how they they play this and and how, what what comes out of it, but um, I think we the three of us as co-hosts probably are all really sort of ha approaching it with an open and positive mindset, just because based on Apple's track record. But we shall see. Yeah, uh, I had a yeah. meeting. I had a conversation this week with um, a lady who was asking me about my views around the metaverse, and I pointed out that hey, I've been recording a podcast with some friends for about 15 years about 3d internet and second life and she she remembered second life she was aware of second life herself um uh, she's she she was an older uh older than me and but she'd recently been trying out a i think a probably a a meta headset for for an art exhibition and i was saying you know everything old is new again you know <laughs> uh, <laughs> but what's changing is the capability, the speed of the the networks, the immersiveness, the, the the ability to actually collaborate, and people's willingness to engage with these things, because we, you know, there isn't a generation of people that are approaching this as some newfangled technology. There are people growing up with it. Um, right. They they, they assume a different starting point. Right. Right. So right. I so, think that so this is where uh, I, I if know they, wouldn't if they can if they can harness that community of people that are willing to straight away get into that, then they, they're likely to have a winner on their hands, but we shall see. Yeah, they might have the conversation that uh, that Ian did in his four-act play that was written by uh, an AI. That's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we're, we're, we're kind of uh, close to wrap-up, and now you, you're talking about old things that are new and, and innovation, and, and I thought it was really cool that uh, yesterday the Google Doodle was celebrating... Uh, the the inventor of the cartridge, the video game cartridge, uh, and his name. Uh, so it's Gerald Lawson, also known as Jerry, uh, and he invented this. What was it, Fairmont or Fairchild? What was the Fairchild? Yes, the Fairchild Channel F cartridge uh, for home consoles. Uh, so early video games, which used to be. One game equals one piece of hardware. And mm -hmm. he took that and abstracted it away and, and separated the motherboard from the game cartridge, uh, quote unquote, and turned that into a thing that you could plug in and swap out multiple games. 
which is really kind of cool. <laughs> if you think about it, now everything's software and you, it's not that impressive. But this this kind of started that abstraction of the game being a whole thing to the game being a piece that you plug into something. I had missed this piece of history and I've seen a bunch of documentaries around, for example, Atari and, um, you know, the early video games. Uh, I've got a couple of books that I've been I've read or, or been reading about um, that period. And I wasn't familiar with Jerry uh, and the, uh, the background here on the cartridge. So this was an interesting little tribute that uh, Google chose to do and it was an interactive Google Doodle which was very cool. The story on The Verge about it ends with a link to um, the Atari uh, 50 collection which I know we spoke about a few weeks ago um, or maybe even months ago before it came out um, which I have got on my um, Steam Deck now so I'm not going to ah. give a, I'm not going to give a full review at this point. Um, there is a review on the Verge saying it's an incredible playable tour through video game history. It's very cool to have everything in one place. Um, it is absolutely huge. Um, it's got almost a hundred games uh, on it, and a lot of the games are <laughs> quite niche because they don't have the licenses for a lot of the bigger games. <laughs> so right, they, right. Um, so there's a, a lot of stuff that you might feel is, is missing. But the way it's arranged in sort of different slices, so you can explore by system, you can explore by genre, you can explore um, in different ways. I, I got straight back into various versions of Breakout and Arkanoid and then uh, very, very quickly realized that I couldn't play these games anymore or that I didn't have the patience well, yeah. for them anymore. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it, it's amazing how much it's changed cuz uh, you know, I I what was um uh what was the one Tempest? Oh yes. Where yeah. you were like running around the edge of a three-dimensional shape at the top and shooting down as things came up. Yeah. Um and and it it, it seemed easy at the time. It's so much harder now. But uh, you know, and then the the other one was uh, that that I played, and this was a I think it was a TI ninety nine four A game. It was one of the early adventure games, and it was a dungeon crawler, and you had to find the key in the various rooms, and then you would take this this set of inverted square brackets, and you would lay that on a wall, and it would open up a door, and you'd go through the door, uh, and there was a dragon that would chase you every once in a while. I just I think I'm familiar with the game you're talking about, and I think there is a sequel to that game in the Atari 50. Uh-huh, um, uh-huh. It's very it's because I because it's yeah you could just kind of navigate through square rooms and there are these weird shaped uh, keys and things which um, I didn't yeah. really understand because I'd not played the original. Um, well, you grab the sword, you you can find a sword, and if the dragon comes at it, you can stick it and it'll go away. But, uh, but I then think you find the key to get the thing and move it over and open the door. But I definitely <laughs> wasn't having to you know shove a, a cartridge into my console, and all of this reminds me that I really really need to break out my. Um, Lego Atari console that does have the cartridge that you can put into it, uh, just for that feel of you know, plugging in yes. the cartridge again. Awesome. Well, I, th- I think we are pretty much at time. Uh, we do want to thank everybody who who reaches out to us uh, over on Mastodon, over on our Facebook page, on our website, who rates and reviews us on iTunes, on Stitcher on the Blueberry Podcasting Network, on the Amazon podcast. I mean, you name it. I think I, I've probably skipped a couple of them, not intentionally. Uh, uh, so um, we we would love to hear from you. Uh, or, uh, you know, 
rate us, rate us on your favorite podcatching uh, client and let us know what you think. We'd love to hear from you on how we can make our show better for you. Absolutely. And Michael, I won't see you next week, but I will speak with the other Michael. I will be the continuity yes. co-host. And uh, <laughs> thank you all for joining us again this week on gamesatwork.biz. See ya. See ya. You've been listening to gamesatwork.biz, the podcast about gaming technology and play. We are part of the Blueberry Podcasting Network and would like to thank the band Random Encounters for their song, Big Blue. You can follow us on Twitter at gamesatwork underscore biz or at our website at gamesatwork.biz. Music